Splash 322 for throwing fire. We're keeping it there's no doubt that the game has changed and we are changing with it welcome to season two because in this season it is all about how we become and stay operational how we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job i'm your host jeff fanman Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Bandman. Today with me, I have Dave, Dr. Dave Rabin uh, from Apollo Neuro. This is going to be a pretty cool conversation. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a uh, pretty much a geek when it comes to technology, human performance technology, biofeedback, et cetera. Uh, I feel like I was doing it quite a while ago. Uh, and so I'm pretty cautious about the things that come out and how they are. But I've been able to spend a pretty decent amount of time with Dave and then kind of the community around Dave uh, to look at their new technology. Dave and I have had some previous conversations, really like uh, what it is. I've, I've tested this out myself. Uh, and so today I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Dave Raven. Dave, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I, it's, a, it's an honor to be here and I really appreciate uh, you having me. Yeah, man. I think this is, uh, you know, you and I met through Mike Brown uh, and, you know, Mike was like, man, you got to try this thing. You got to try this thing. He <laughs> sits me down in his chair and he straps this, straps this weird thing on my ankle and he's like, all right, hold on. I'm going to, and he's got the app, right? So he's controlling everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's like, how do you want to feel right now? And, uh, and began to really like get uh, the sensations that were coming off of this thing. And then the conversation you and I had, uh, about how this thing got designed is it, just phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to kind of just getting into this thing. I'm sure everybody's like, what are we got talking about? So <laughs> here's what I'd like you to do first. Why don't you, uh, so I don't crush your, your life or your background or, you know, uh, uh, make you sound like, you know, Superman, like you just put somebody on the moon. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about who you are, uh, what, you, uh, what Apollo Neuro is, kind of some of the technology and, and how this came about. Sure. Uh, so I'm a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. Uh, clinically, in my practice, I focus on seeing patients with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and things that typically have a mental illness component and a physical illness component uh, where stress makes the symptoms substantially worse. Mm. Um, and these folks are, are people who typically have tried many, many, many treatments and not had sufficient symptom relief. And it's the, the reason why I, I'm very interested in this population, and I work with a lot of vets as well in my practice, and yeah. I'm also trained as an MDMA, uh, an MDMA trained psychotherapist by MAPS for the uh, current trial uh, that's going on with the FDA in phase three right now for treatment-resistant PTSD, which in terms of medicines is probably, I think, undeniably right now, the most promising treatment we have on the horizon. And it's the closest thing to a cure that we have ever had in uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder or for any mental illness for that matter, which is very exciting. Uh, and people with just three doses of this medicine in the phase two trials, 67% of them are roughly symptom-free uh, or no, no longer meeting diagnostic criteria for PTSD at five years out after yeah. just three doses and 12 weeks of psychotherapy. So there's a lot on the horizon. And and, and I've been trained in a, in a number of different modalities to uh, try to understand and provide uh, the best possible care that we can for uh, our service members and, and vets and people who have, um, you know, really made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I think that there's a huge opportunity now that 
you know, the NIMH, which a lot of people don't know, the National Institute of Mental Health, was actually founded to treat specifically shell shock or PTSD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we haven't had a new pharmaceutical FDA approved uh, pharmaceutical for PTSD uh, in over 15 years. And so, you know, what are we what are we doing, you know, when we're, you know, holding back on things like we're pushing back on things like MDMA, which is clearly having dramatic results. And so I think there's this really exciting movement coming forward with things like 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 MDMA as an alternative treatment that could really be promising at the same time. Um, and I think what's really important and going back to my, my work is that I study, um, now I've studied chronic stress and resilience for about, uh, almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, this has always interested me because, you know, stress in a lot of ways isn't always bad. Right. And, and we know this because a lot of, you know, people like, like, uh, you and a lot of your listeners who have gone through basic training and, and overcome extreme adversity have seen the way that they've grown and become stronger individuals for that overcoming that adversity. And we see the same thing as physicians when we go through our rigorous training of our own, you know, and, and we would not be as good doctors had we not gone through such rigorous training to a large extent. And um, so, but on the, on the other hand, there are a lot of people who don't overcome stress, right? Yes. The stress is so intense um, that it, that it, uh, it pushes them back down and it suppresses their ability to feel good uh, on a daily basis sometimes and to even be able to do normal things in their day-to-day -day lives. And so like maintain relationships with family and friends and that kind of thing and do and, and work jobs that they enjoy. And so what we have tried to do in our research is understand how we work with our patients or how we can work with our patients uh, or our clients in any way to and how our techniques work the best in common to what are the common um, the common principles that really make our techniques work well and it, and it turns out when you look at things like um, really good psychotherapy or soothing touch massage work or soothing music or mindfulness meditation deep breathing practices yoga uh, all of these things work in a lot of ways even things like float tanks and biofeedback. Mm -hmm. All of these things work because they increase safety signals in our brain and make us and help us be more present in the moment with ourselves. And what's interesting is that for the very first time in Western medicine, we now have the ability to measure that in some ways with a measure called heart rate variability. Yeah. And, and heart rate variability is the rate of change of the heartbeat over time. And it's now become over the last 20 years to the study of biofeedback, the most reliable measure of our ability, our, how recovered we are from stress. Yes. And not just in the moment, but also over time. Um, and so it's also a measure, it reflects then um, the balance between our sympathetic fight or flight system and our parasympathetic rest and digest system. And the sympathetic system is triggered by stress and that increases heart rate and increases blood pressure and increases blood flow and energy resources to our motor cortex and our muscles and all the parts of our body that need to get us out of a dangerous situation. But that system should not be activated when we're at the store shopping or hanging out with our kids <laughs> or answering our emails, right? Right. Because, because when that system's activated, it directly suppresses the parasympathetic system, which is the recovery response system. That's responsible mm -hmm. for maintaining our sense of calm and po poise and sleep and rest and recovery and digestion and reproduction and creativity, right? All the things that we do when we're not stressed out. Yeah. And when we're not under immediate threat. And so all the techniques we were talking about earlier, a lot of the techniques that you talk about on your on your podcast are about reestablishing balance and Apollo, Apollo Neuro, uh, which came out of Apollo Neuroscience, the company that was founded based on the research I did at the University of Pittsburgh on this topic was a way for us to create a technology that through the sense of touch delivers these gentle layered frequencies of sound to the body through the skin on the ankle, the wrist or the arm. Um, or really wherever you want to wear it. And these sound waves we found in the lab can reliably shift the balance of the nervous system in the body, just like somebody giving you a hug, or just like feeling an ocean wave wash over your body, or just like taking a deep breath. Because as soon as you take a deep breath, as soon as we take a deep breath, or as soon as somebody gives us a hug, we instantly recognize through an evolutionarily hardwired pathway of safety, that we ha are safe because we have the time to pay attention to that hug or that breath, 
right? Because if we were running from a lion or we were being shot at or we were in the middle of something terrible and we actually needed to get out of that situ situation immediately, we would not be able to take the, that moment to pay attention to our breath or to pay attention to somebody holding our hand or giving us a hug. We'd be really in the moment getting out of that situation. And so yeah. it's a, it's a, it serves as an immediate reminder that we can provide to ourselves and Apollo works on the same mechanism that we can maintain and establish our own safety. And once you can establish your own safety and you start to train yourself to do that on your own, which is exactly what meditation and mindfulness are always sort of based and rooted in, then you, your, your whole human potential opens up to you. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to dive into this because this is the, you know, out of all of the work, right? This is the, this is the curious thing, which is this understanding what safe feels like, you know, because right. I think most of us don't, right? I mean, most of our, you know, you go back to childhood trauma all the way through our lives. And then of course, you know, for those of us in our community, we get into these uh, highly intense jobs and work and flow. And, you know, we have this, this, we've talked about on the show in the past, this need to create safety for everyone else around us. Yet, you know, for ourselves, we don't even know what that feels like, right? you know, and, you know, internally, and I know, you know, you and I have talked about the stuff we do on the range through the meditation practice, but all of that stuff really to me, and, and this is what I'm working on from the Ted talk perspective. It's the ultimate human question. Am I safe? You know what I mean? Like to me, that's the only question that truly matters nine times out of 10. And then that's what the body's constantly assessing. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And under that chronic stress that we experience, you know, it, it suppresses the side of us that says, yeah, you're safe. So yeah, when we're walking around the grocery store, we're like, no, there's a threat around the corner. Am I armed? You know, is somebody going to come through the door? Where are my exits? It's like right. always heightened and on. Right. I had that hypervigilance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. You know, and everybody's looking at us like, can you just relax? <laughs> no, well, no, actually I can't. <laughs> well, I think that what's really interesting about that is it's not as, a lot of people think that it's, it's really complicated and it's right. not as complicated as people think. Exactly. You know, yeah. when, when you really break it down to a completely reductionist perspective in the simplest terms, what we're really talking about is the fundamental way that the brain works, which is mm -hmm. that practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And this was discovered by a number of amazing neuroscientists but, and psychiatrists, but ultimately Eric Kendall won the Nobel Prize for it in 2002 for discovering the mechanisms of learning and memory, which I think is interesting to note only because these mechanisms of how our brains store and form memories over time probably dates back all the way to, to and possibly before 300 million year old sea snails in terms of the yeah. way that our neurons are actually talking to each other and the way that they learn in information about fear and safety. Mm. And so what's really interesting is that, you know, practice makes perfect. And so as we practice and we train, whether you're a doctor or whether you're a service member, you know, you're, tr we're training to be in a, a threatening environment. Yes. We're training to be always on. Yep. Right. This term always on is now starting to become a more popular thing. I think possibly because Whoop, uh, the biometric tracking company, use it as their tagline. But it's kind of an interesting thing yeah. when we're talking about burnout. Mm -hmm. Right. Because totally. al always on in some ways is kind of the issue. Right. Yes. It's that we are, <laughs> we're not, we're, we're forgetting to train ourselves to also value being off. Yes. <laughs> and being off is is really like respecting the body, respecting ourselves and our minds and our emotional our emotional state and really, you know, loving it and being grateful for it for whatever we have and getting to this point and then understanding how to uh, you know, value that and value the weak our weaknesses as much as we value our strengths so that we can continue to grow and learn from all of the experiences we're going through whether they turned out good or bad. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just, you know, we, the mistakes are the way that we learn. And so we have to make mistakes. Otherwise we won't get better. We have to be challenged or we won't grow. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting when I look at the culture of our world, right? So even you go back to, so one of the original guys kind of around this idea of, you know, mindset and performance stuff in our community, Jeff Cooper, you know, back 
you know, 70s, 80s timeframe, you know, develops Cooper color, Cooper's colors, and he does a uh, heart rate calculation. I mean, you know, he did the best with the best tools that he had at the time. And like you said earlier, you know, literally the science is just crazy accelerated lately. Uh, right. But he created, I don't know if you've ever seen these or not, but he created Cooper's colors, right, which was a metric to try to help train law enforcement officers, et cetera, on correlating heart rate to a condition. Right. So you, some kind of boundary to assess where I might be, you know, am right. I am I orange or am I red? You know, where do I need to be in a certain environment? Uh, and it, it really I mean, when you look at it in context, it was phenomenal. It was was really well done. But what happened over time, you know, he had at the at the end of book ending of the spectrum, he had white and black. Right. And right. the way the training went, you never wanted to be in white or black. Because white, you're completely, you know, white, you're checked out and black, you know, you're so overwhelmed, you can't make a decision. And right. so in the culture for years, what it looked like was you never want to be in rest and restore. You never want to let your guard down. You don't want to be in white. Right. And, and, right. and I'm sure in the original teaching that was meant in certain contexts, but you know, as things right. grow and other people think, then it's like, oh, don't ever be in white. I don't want to ever be in white, you know, and then the ego steps into play and everything else. And so, you know, the programs I've taught over the last 15 years now, almost 20, uh, I've been like, no, white's valuable. White's the space you go. Right. White is right. the space where you actually begin to recover, begin to settle in, let your system balance itself. Right. And so white is purposeful. Uh, but that's what we're up against kind of in our community is this deeper understanding that says, well, I don't want to feel too safe or I don't want to feel that way. And you and I were even talking about it before the show. It's like it is such an unfamiliar feeling that it is, I will say, from my end. My first time experiencing those places was probably the most uncomfortable I've ever been. <laughs> you know what I mean? Forget right. senior school, forget everything else, forget all the other crap I've done in my life. Trying to feel safe was radically uncomfortable the first time. Right. Yeah. And and so it always helps to have a little help in that process. Yes. And and so I think you know what you brought up a really good point which is this relationship between the mind and the body mm -hmm. um and this idea that you know whenever something happens in our thought process or whenever you know when we think a stressful thought our heart rate goes up yes right our breath rate goes up and becomes more shallow um and our mood changes and our blood pressure changes and all you know there's there's it's where our mind and our bodies are inextricably interconnected oh yeah and and so what's really interesting about that is up until this point, almost all of the techniques that we've used, whether you're a therapist or whether you're a life coach or whether you're yeah. some other form of doctor or um, even in the military in training and in school, I think a lot of what we use is what we call top-down training. Mm -hmm. And top-down training refers to this idea, of very basic idea of just, I'm going to tell you what to do. Right. And then you do it. And you're doing it because your brain, well, I'm telling your brain how to do something. And then you're consciously willing your body to do that thing yeah. through practice and through training and behavior change. It requires conscious behavior change. Mm -hmm. And it requires an enormous amount of motivation to tr train people that way, which I think to a large extent has to do with why on average, when you look across the board at medication and treatment recommendations from doctors and the adherence rates that patients have on average, we're really looking at on average across the board, it's something like 50 to 60% of patients do only 50 to 60% of patients do what their doctor recommends. Right. On a right. And, you know, by, by what the doctor says specifically, um, which is not very good. And so we know that top down learning is only so effective, but what's really interesting that we haven't tapped into is the other direction, right? Bottom up learning. So bottom up learning comes from experience. So you learn by teaching the body how to feel something different. Mm -hmm. And then that shifts the way that we think and the way that we act because we feel different or we feel better or we feel more energized or more close to our goal in whatever way. And so what that leads into, again, is back to this idea of heart rate variability because what heart rate variability really is, when you really want to get down to it and why it's such an interesting biometric and probably the most interesting biometric that we have right now is because it's a measure of adaptation. 
Yes. It's yep. not, you know, when, when we're being trained, I would argue that we're being trained the wrong way in a lot of respects because we're not being trained to adapt. We're trained to be always on. Yes. Yeah. And what's really critical about being human and what our best and most important skill set has always been is not being always on. It's being adaptable, maximally adaptable yes. to any situation that comes, whether that's a situation that's requiring sleep or whether that's a situation that's requiring work. You know, we have to be ideally to maximize our full potential as adaptable as possible. And that needs to be what we focus on. So why we created Apollo is because HRV correlates with adaptability. People with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, chronic pain, insomnia, depression, anxiety, all of these people across the board tend to have low heart rate variability. Yes. <laughs> so, so then when you look at the techniques that boost heart rate variability, soothing touch, massage, yoga, a regular meditation, breathing practice, biofeedback, all of these things that bring the autonomic nervous system, the fight or flight and the recovery system back into balance with each other. And by establishing safety signals in the brain, just like we were talking about earlier. And so Apollo is the first ARF, is the first tech wearable technology that we created out of this research to be able to deliver the benefits of this med meditative safety training that we should have all probably learned as children um, to us so that you can feel from the bottom up, from the body first, you can feel what it feels like to be safe. Yes. You can feel what it feels like to be in a meditative state. And then it becomes a lot easier to learn how to do that for yourself over time. And the, de and the device just becomes another tool in your toolbox that you can use. Uh, the Apollo becomes another tool in your toolbox you can use to start helping you to relearn some of the things that, you know, we might have learned as a kid and forgotten or we never learned, never learned right? at all. Yeah. Yeah, which is more than likely the case because no one ever really knew to to teach that. I mean, that's the uh, spot on. I mean, this is where I think when you and I spoke the first time, uh, this was right. This was the core of the research I did at the agency when we were looking at how we go from a, a model of tactical training, right? A model of doing X, Y, and Z for a specific point to a behavioral shift model where we're actually able to understand behavioral reactions to certain conditions and the impact of that on the body, right? And I needed a measurement at the time that I could actually acquire in action, right? Out in right. the field, um, you know, not in a laboratory. And I think that was the, that was the catalyst for a lot of my work was to understand that, you know, able to put people in specific conditions, in action, in flow and accurately real-time measure you know, minute shifts in heart rate variability and the impact on them and the severity and their ability to recover from those points was critical, right? I mean, right. absolutely crucial. And so, you know, when it comes to this technology, here's the cool thing. Like, I want to talk a little bit about use of this thing, like what it is. It's not like some, here's what I like. It's not some big obscure thing and it's not a whoop band and it's not a this and it's not, you know what I mean? Like, I really like some of the simplicity around it and the uh, the implementation of it is what I what I really appreciate because I think there's a lot of people that have gone very far, you know, almost overstretched in some ways to try to get some stuff. And then there's a lot of people out there that are collecting a lot of data that have no idea what to do with the data. So talk to me about the actual system itself. Sure. So the Apollo uh, wearable is a small pod that's about the size of an old Apple watch on a, a band, but it's on the inside of the band and there's a little metal clip on the outside. Um, and there's a fabric strap that, uh, has some very fine Velcro and it wraps around. It's a soft fabric strap. It's a little bit elastic and it sort of, and there, it wraps around your, your leg or your ankle or your arm or your wrist. And you can, um, it basically feels like a gentle, very soft, uh, you know, kind of like a purr from a, from an animal mm -hmm. or like kind of holding a baby or just like a gentle ocean wave kind of washing over your body. And it kind of fades in and out of awareness. Um, so the idea is that when you breathe uh, and you do biofeedback exercises and you meditate, the, the, the practice of this, and I think you, you said it just a second ago, is to enter flow yeah. as often as possible. Flow is not just a peak performance state, right. but it's also a peak recovery state. Yes. It's just being maximally present in the moment, in as much pre as present as you can be in the moment at any moment. 
And the more present we are in the moment, the more we get out of each moment. And so we can, you know, we can use Apollo helps to ground the body by providing, again, through providing through the sense of touch, these vibrations that signal safety to the, to the brain. And then this actually increases, you can see it as it increases heart rate variability. So what's really interesting is not only um, is it possible to influence the body, but you can actually track the outcomes of the influence on the body. Mm -hmm. And you can see that those increases in heart rate variability reflect performance outcomes. And we actually showed that in the lab at the university in our first clinical trial, which was really fascinating because it showed us results that were really mind-blowing um, for this kind of work because we could reliably send these signals that are now that, that the Apollo generates to the body. And when we send these signals to the body and people don't know what's, what they're getting, they were all double-blinded and randomized and you know, placebo-controlled. Right. And, and nobody knows what they're getting, but you send them this, these signals specifically and their body knows within two to three minutes under stress because they're, un, they're doing a stressful task in the lab and they're hooked up to all, they're all wired up to sure. EKG machines and EEG and pupillometry and galvanic skin response <laughs> and respiratory bands and, yeah. you know, all of these all wires the good going toys. And they have right. To, right. And they have to do these incredibly stressful tasks that NASA gives to astronauts before they go into space to test cognitive performance. And uh, with and without all the Apollo frequencies and other frequencies that were active controls and no vibration conditions over and over and over again. So it's really taxing. Um, and despite how taxing it is, with Apollo frequencies, you see HRV go up within two to three minutes of use, Wow! right? And when we see that in, in roughly 80% of people and, and with just two frequencies, and when this is just our very first trial, and when a, their HRV went up, their performance on the task went up yeah. proportionately yep. to their HRV going up. So as you were saying earlier, I think this is really critical to understand is that the mind and the body are intricately and and uh, irrevocably interconnected. Yes. There is no difference between what happens in the mind and the body. It's reflected all the way through. And so as we balance our nervous systems in our body, as reflected by increases in heart rate variability, whether it's through deep breathing or whether it's through the use of Apollo or any number of other you know, useful techniques, uh, you increase your ability to be present in the moment, which allows you to focus your cognitive resources mm -hmm. on what you're doing right then and there which allows you to optimize your performance to the best of your ability because you're that much closer to being in flow. All right, we're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Brute Force Training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OPMINDSET, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, and that's and that's the curious thing. I mean, that's the thing that I think most people miss. Again, it's one of these, to me, misconceptions have come about. Flow only occurs in certain moments in time. I mean, flow is just the alignment of the mind and body in my Opinion, exactly. Right. So it's just it's just bringing things into coherence, bringing things into alignment. It's getting things operating the way they should. And I'm a big believer now that I understand that like the big crossover from psychology to biology, the body knows what it needs and how to act if you can give it the 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 gentle nudge in the right direction. And right. You know, and, and if we can learn to listen to it, yeah, what, which also requires presence. Which then, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the chain of events I see. Just so, so for everybody listening, here's how I see this thing working out, right? Which is one, you're listening to me going, okay, I tried to meditate, but I can't do it, or you know, I tried this stuff and I don't like it, or I don't want to see this person. I'm, and I mean, we're dealing in a highly resistant community, and I have been the the, the guide on bearer, right? The benchmark for resistance. Yeah. Just ask most people around me uh, for a long time. And <laughs> here's what I like about the, this new, this is where I'm kind of stoked about it. I feel like it really lowers the barrier to entry, right? It gives me a tool. Right. It gives me a vehicle to begin to train my internal system or my body, how to feel a certain way. That then, you know, I begin to, to register that sensation, that experience, 
And from that registration, you know, for me, what's happened over the years is I actually now, I crave that, right? I look for that. I look for, you know, opportunities, breath work and, you know, and bodily sensation. Those things are, they're so heightened. I'm able to just now to a point, recognize it, assess what's happening right this second in the present moment. Do I need this feeling of frustration or anxiety or whatever, right? Is that, does it correlate to my condition? around me to the conditions around me and if not okay cool then why is it coming up or can i just set it aside for right now and deal with it later or what do i need to do with it so i really i like this this is where i'm excited about the technology and i don't get excited about technologies very often to be honest with you i'm a pretty big naysayer around a lot of it um but we are yeah i am too yeah yeah i think we talked about that the first time it's like you know don't give me another piece of crap that isn't going to do anything yeah but I think this, especially in our world and especially in our condition, it gives us a gateway to begin to experience something where we are completely unfamiliar with, uh, right? you know, and without having to do all these other things. And it's an opportunity to become a training tool. Uh, you know, I tell the guys, most of this work is like practicing to see your front sight, right? If you can't see your front sight, around, you're going to miss your target every time you know, strapping on the Apollo and taking the time. I mean, how long do you, like, if I, if I have this thing tomorrow and I open it up, like, what's the practice look like? Do I wear this thing for hours? Do I, like, when do I do this? What is the practical application of and use sure. of the technology? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the, the, the general uses that we've found from over 2000 beta testers in the wild and also are uh, from our prototype testing, and also from our clinical trials with folks with uh, PTSD, TBI, chronic pain, depression, and ADHD, and lots of other disorders. And sort of we combine all of that data from the way people used it and the way that they told us it helped them uh, into seven different settings. Okay. And we call these the wave modes. And so these, these modes are basically the seven, the seven different things that most people want to do each day. So it starts with the most energizing, which is energy and wake up. And that's kind of feels like a cup of coffee in the morning. Okay. And then, or an energy drink. Uh, and then the one, and then going down and then it gets calmer gradually down from there. Uh, and so going down from that, you would, uh, so a lot of people will actually use just to start, I guess, to start energy and wake up. They'll use that first thing in the morning and they'll use it instead of coffee or instead of stimulants. Um, and we see a lot of people because, because when you take, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, statistics are fascinating when you look at populations and how we use substances. Mm. So even when you, most people don't think of caffeine as a drug, but it turns out that when you look at how many people use caffeine or stimulants in the morning, and then how many of those people use a sedative at night to include alcohol to, before bed, 80% of people who take a stimulant in the morning, including caffeine, use a sedative before bed. So that is showing us that we are maybe self-medicating a little bit too much because it's not, <laughs> because it's not just one or the other. It's not just, you know, that it, we're, we end up probably disrupting our circadian rhythms with what we're using in the morning to some extent or mm. what we're overusing in terms of stimulants. And then that, for, that makes us feel like we need to use something to calm down at night. And so the idea is that you know, when you start to use something like energy and wake up instead of caffeine in the morning, which we see very commonly, or you use less caffeine in the morning yeah. or during throughout your day, then all of a sudden people are sleeping better by, but naturally, right? right? But then, and then, and so they're getting, they're just getting a little bit better sleep. It regulates their rhythms a little better. And so going down from that, if you just think about these from the standpoint of this is something where you can now just instead, you know, when you're feeling uncomfortable in any given situation, you can just press these two buttons on your wrist or in your ankle and turn on something that helps you feel to be like you can more easily adapt to these different situations. Mm. The next one being socializing. So after, so when you're like at the end of a day, you're tired, you don't want to go out and socialize or hang out or you're, you know, too tired to hang out with your family. You turn on this, the next setting and it gives you like a nice, calm, clear, social feeling. Mm. It just feels nice to be around other people. Yeah. Um, and then going down from that is, uh, and so a lot of people will use that instead of drinking around their friends. Um, and then going down from that would be clear and focus, which kind of feels like amphetamines. 
So it's like a intense, sustained focus that lasts for a good amount of time where you can just really zone in on something and you really kind of feel like it's like a cognitive or physical focus flow state. Um, what, and we call it the social one, social flow. Clear and focus is, is the um, like workflow. A lot of people use it for public speaking and public engagements and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. um, and it's also really interesting for helping with headaches um, and, and motion sickness, which is interesting. Um, and we found that from our, from our users. Wow. Uh, and then down, down from that is recover and recharge, which is, or sorry, rebuild and recover, which is post-workout, uh, post-intense stress. And we've seen from some study, pilot studies at the University of Minnesota that these frequencies actually reduce heart rate and blood pressure by 15 points wow. closer to your baseline um, in the two-minute period after an intense workout. Um, so it just helps the body physically recover back closer to baseline more quickly, hmm. which is a sign that we're more resilient yeah. and we're bouncing back more quickly. And then that after that, we start to get into the more sort of calming uh, wave mode. So then there's meditation and mindfulness, which is what it sounds like. It enhances and access to meditative states. And we've shown that uh, preliminarily in a clinical trial at the University of Pittsburgh as well. Um, and people, a lot of people use that for chronic nerve pain um, and for digestive issues uh, and things of that nature. And we call that also calm flow. So these are still in the flow state category, but calm, more on the calm side. And then going down from that would be relax and recharge, which is the most relaxing like pre-bed frequency when you really want to wind down. A lot of people say it kind of feels like a cannabis indica or like having a bit, you know, a glass of whiskey. But the difference is you press the button to turn it on and you press the button, to turn it off and the, you know, the effects, you know, yeah. stay, but they're not, it's not like, it's not like having a drink where you're intoxicated right. for an extended period of time. Right. You can't drive. It's not like that. Um, and then the last one is sleep. So those seven categories all kind of walk people through, uh, you know, what you can do to just help tra ease your transition throughout the day into that, that goal state. So do peop when people first start using it, many people start using it and use it all day and they just use each setting throughout the day for whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. But then over time, as people use it, what's really interesting is we don't see dependence or tolerance to it. We actually see sensitization which is, and training, which is kind of what we see with, with breath work. So with breath work, the more you practice breath work or meditation, the easier it is to get into a meditative state and the more benefit you get from it more quickly. And we see the same thing happening with Apollo where people use it less over time. They still use it, but they use it more intentionally and they use it less for less time. Um, and then, and they get the benefits more quickly, which is really interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's what I really like about it. Right. Because that to me is the, the enhancement of anything, right? Cause you're training the body to be in a certain condition, to be familiar with that condition and be able to access that condition, you know, when you need it. Right. And right. So I, like jumpstarting the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Right. It's a guiding, it's a, it's a guiding tool. It's a piece that, that actually gives you, um, that trains the body to be familiar with, you know, that state and, uh, just like meditation does over a period of time, just like, you know, breath work does, et cetera. Right. I mean, the, the more you do it, right. the easier it becomes, the more, you know, when to access it, the more you're in tune with your system and when the system needs to regulate. And I think that's part of the, the, the inner workings that we've missed over time is how do I train my body to identify and shift correctly, right. To meet, to match the right. conditions, right. We talked about present right. to adapt. Yeah. To, to be it. Yeah. To be completely adaptable. Uh, to the environment. And I think that's where, you know, that's the thing that we've missed is how do I become present, right? How do I actually be here now and be mm -hmm. in the condition? You know, I think one of my big taglines is put yourself in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next, right? And right. I feel like this is a, this is probably one of the first technologies in a very long time that I see that actually hits the wickets the way it should be done. So I want to give you some props for that. And, and oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, Thank man. You. I mean, and I, that doesn't come lightly that, uh, you know, after I, after I looked at everybody's stuff when I was at the agency and I had access to everybody's things and all the stuff that was out there. I mean, I now, 
you know, people will call me with a new technology around heart rate variability or wherever else, but nine times out of 10, I just tune out. I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, great, okay. You know what I mean? Because it's all just bells and whistles in a lot of ways. Right. And so, uh, so from a, from a wearable standpoint, I mean, you're talking, you could do this thing all day. You can kind of, you could do it in a, so for instance, if I'm a, a police officer or a firefighter, you know, I'm coming off shift. Maybe I haven't worn it all day on my shift. Maybe I didn't wear it that day, but I could strap that thing on in the car on the way home. Uh, you yeah. know, maybe put that, put a, put a transitional state. Cause a lot of what we are trying to teach our population is how to create kind of benchmarks of transition, right. And how to transition from, you know, in, in, in the big picture, one world to the next world, right. From my operational world to my home life. Um, and how do I exist between those states? And I think that's what I'm always curious about is how to, how do I ease that transition? What can I do to support, you know, someone in transition and then being, you know, highly operational and how's it all come together? And that's what I really appreciate about, um, this particular thing. I, I rarely get excited anymore. And I know I keep saying that, but, uh, but it's really the truth. This is a, uh, I think this is a high yield uh, technology that will produce some pretty tremendous results uh, in in our community, right? If I speak to my listeners in our community, uh, this is a gateway. This is a gateway to finding something new. So I really like it. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate that as well, and I and I I especially appreciate you saying that because I think you know the history of how we came to this and how we developed this technology couldn't have happened without the what we learned and the inspiration from my veteran patients and from my patients who had PTSD and and who were really struggling. I mean, I think I learned more from those people than from anyone else. And that was ultimately who we really developed this for, yeah. you know, originally, right. that was the motivation was to really when we saw these people and they're not getting better with the treatments we're told to, to, to provide them what else can we do? There has to be something else that we can do. Um, and like, like, look at technology, look at the things that we're doing. Like we're, yeah. we're sending people to Mars for God's right. sake. Like, how is it possible that we are not able to use the technology we have today to make something that's actionable and implementable, mm -hmm. right. And scalable and accessible for people yes. who are in this position, who have, who have literally made the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. Right. I mean, we should be prioritizing these people more than anything else. And I, you know, I think that one of the big things about Apollo, when we really get down to the bottom line and why it's an interesting tool right now, um, is because psychedelics are incredible, right? right? Like MDMA on the horizon, incredible potential for, for humanity and particularly for treating these very hard to treat mental illnesses. That said, it's still illegal. The only way you can access this is it, 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 it is through clinical trials right now, and there are very limited. There's very limited access, and even when it gets through breakthrough status with the FDA, so it'll probably be available starting 2021 or 2022 for people to be able to access. Not going through a trial, it will be excruciatingly expensive, yes. unfortunately, because it's not going to be reimbursed right away, and it requires an enormous amount of therapist time. And, sim and similarly, breath work, which is always available to us, meditation, which is always available to us, as we were talking about earlier, can require thousands of hours of practice to master to, yes. to control our stress responses yep. in real time, particularly when we've already been chronically stressed, mm -hmm. which is all of us for the most Pretty part. Pretty much. Yep. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know I could say I yeah, have yeah. been from my training oh, yeah. and my practice. And so, you know, now I'm just constantly doing everything I can on a daily basis to reverse that. But I think, you know, Apollo becomes a scalable and accessible way that it, it is our, what we have put together from everything we've learned from neuroscience and meditation and athletics and the military and how the body, about how the body works and how to help people feel better. And then taking all of that and synthesizing it into this technology that anybody can wear, kids can wear it, uh, elderly can wear it, you know, sick people can wear it and healthy people can wear it because it provides some of the benefits that, you know, of, of this, I think, importantly, ancient knowledge mm -hmm. that, yep. you know, our bodies of what our bodies are truly capable right. of, and how to open ourselves up to exploring that bef before we start limiting ourselves, yes. right, really, bef and, and sort of 
starting to break down the barriers of I can't do it, right? I can't achieve X, whatever that mm -hmm. X is, right? I can't feel better, right? And starting to understand how we can start to, how those barriers are actually not real. And they're yes. just things that are created by our association with experience in the past that is pulling us out of the present. And the more, the less we resist that present, the, le the less, the more we lean in, the more we dive into the moment uh, with safety, of mm -hmm. course, as the focus, then the more we can detach ourselves from the past emotionally and allow ourselves to process it and integrate it and grow from it without shaming ourselves yes. for feeling it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, we probably need to have two or three more episodes to go through a few things, Dave, you know, cause one, I'd love to have, I'd love <laughs> to have the MDMA conversation. I think that's an interesting conversation to have, um, you know, and, and I agree with you. And I think for most of these guys, I mean, I, I, it's, it's sometimes we feel in our community, like, like if we haven't had the traumatic incident or we're not, we haven't had these things, then some of this stuff isn't going to exist. And I, and what I want to really make sure that we understand is like, this is a, this is a buildup over time, especially for those of us in our community. You know, you see this breakdown in one to five years, right? Where everything's new and fresh and right. exciting and we're all good. And we're not attuned to the stressors that are happening or the minor shifts that are happening, the erratic sleep patterns or the shift work that's going on or being woken up in the middle of the night or whatever it might be, right? These minor things that begin to occur in that one to five year time frame that then start to kind of creep out into the five to 10, that then to really take you know, hold between 10 and 15, and then really start to eat our lunch between 15 and 20 and 25 years of career, right, in this world. Right. And so what I, what I, what I've been, you know, what I really want to be able to understand is how do we, how do we get early, right? How do we prevent some of these things, which I think, you know, training the body early, doing, implementing these practices early, begin to help, like you talked about earlier, regulate sleep, regulate some of the core functions of our system that then help naturally regulate, you know, our central nervous system, um, you know, but really, no matter where you are in your career and in your path, you don't have to wait till the end. You don't have to wait till, you know, 20 years in or, hey, I feel great today. I'm good. You know, I'll be good for the next 15 years. No, you won't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause, um, <laughs> trust me, listen to the gray beard for a minute. You won't. Right. So, yeah. uh, so I think that's part of, you know, and that's been the work of the foundation is focusing on early training, early development, early technology. Right, catching people as early in their career as possible, creating good and sustainable practices that help regulate the the extremes that we'll experience. You know what I mean? I can't take right. away the fires and the bad guys and you know combat. And I, you know, we're not going to remove that stuff. And we need to be able to operate in those conditions with extreme prejudice and extreme effectiveness, and without remorse in a lot of ways. And, you know, transition to come home to live a full and health, healthy life. And that's really, that's where the focus is. And that's why I definitely wanted to get you on the show and talk about, uh, talk about the technology and talk about what it is. So uh, we will definitely need to schedule a time because I think there's some other just cool conversations we could have, uh, given your experience and your background. And I think you'd be a huge contribution to the community. So um, I know you're, you're super busy uh, running around like a chicken with your head cut off most days. <laughs> but, but we'll tie you down uh, again one of these days. Um, tell me real quick where where people can find this. Like where does it where does Apollo live? How do I find out more? Give me the rundown real quick. Sure. Uh, so thank you again for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is a really great conversation. And anybody who is interested in Apollo can find it at apolloneuro.com. A P O L L O neuro.com or at apolloneuroscience.com uh, and you can also find us on instagram at apollo neuro uh, on twitter at apollo hrv and we're also on facebook and you can find me on instagram and twitter as well dr david rabin or uh, at dave rabin on twitter um, and i'm also on linkedin i'm happy to chat with anybody who um, has questions about any of the things we're talking about or um, how to find access to better treatment uh and uh i think that you know there the main the main take take away from all of this is that 
you know, for all of those out there who are struggling, that there is hope, you know, there is hope on the horizon. There are incredible things coming out um, that are really, really close guys Mm -hmm. and girls. We are really close. You know, we are, we are getting to a point where over the next couple of years, we may actually start to see uh, and cross your fingers, yeah. cures for the very first ever cures for mental illness coming out. Um, and so I can tell you that having seen a lot of the results from a lot of these studies, they are looking really, really, really good. So, you know, again, nothing's final, but that's the way things are going. And so, you know, don't lose hope. Things are going to get better. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about the future. This is uh, this is a cool time, uh, and this is a cool time to be doing this stuff. So, uh, and you know, we'll put up a link in the show notes uh, through to Apollo Neuro. Uh, we'll do a little bit more uh, deep dive right up here on the stuff. Uh, you can check out the product there. Uh, it'll be up with on uh, Mindset Radio within the show notes. Uh, all that stuff will be there. Uh, links through uh, if you forget what Dave said. You know, like I do my memory retention is pretty low these days as I'm getting old. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so Dave, I, you know, I really appreciate your time, uh, coming on the show, spending some time with us to talk about this stuff. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. That's, uh, it's huge. And so again, thank you very much. And thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. sir. And we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show was brought to you in part by the primed mind app. You know, I've gotten to know Elliot Rowe for some time now and using his app has been a huge game changer for me. It brings together a perfect set of guided meditations that really keep you in the game. Whether it's sleep, performance, workouts, resiliency, or making those critical transitions between home and work, the Prime Mind app is my go-to source for putting me in the mental and emotional condition necessary to deal with whatever comes my way. Check it out at mindsetradio.com backslash primed mind. That's P-R-I-M-E-D-M-I-N-D. Download it and check out what Elliot has to offer. Remember, this podcast is only available through your continued support through donations to the Operational Mindset Foundation at opmindset.org and through your engagement with our sponsors. So stop by mindsetradio.com for all the show notes from today's episode and show some love to all of our sponsors by visiting mindset.com backslash sponsors. As always, feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts about today's episode or join us on Facebook in the Mindset Radio Facebook group. You can follow us on Instagram at Mindset Radio or over at Twitter at Mindset underscore radio. That's Mindset underscore radio over on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and I'm looking forward to next time. Until then, stay safe. And stay operational, my friends.